Hello and welcome to the Fencing Podcast. This is episode 29. I'm Gavin. And I'm Sean. And uh, here we are again, Sean. Yes, indeed. indeed. Yep. Can't stay away. Yep. Uh, so first of all, I think we'll have a bit of a shout out to our lovely sponsors, Lee and Paul. Hooray. Ah. Uh, obviously, Lee and Paul are uh, are great and we think you should get some stuff. But they're not as great as our Patreon supporters. I would say equally wonderful. Equally wonderful. We yeah. don't want to show favouritism here. No, definitely not. No, okay. But the Patreon supporters are buying our yacht. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I so. mean, they are they are paying for the crew costs and... Mooring fees. Mooring fees. Where are we? We're just off the Corfu, aren't we? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, that's right. right. And then onward to the Caribbean. Indeed. Uh, so if you want to, to join our Patreon supporters and keeping us supported in the lack of... Lack of luxury. Yep. Uh, oh no, I was right there. Lack of luxury. Lack of luxury. Lack yeah. of luxury. Exactly. Uh, then please do join them. Links in the show notes as always. Uh, all right. So we've got a bit of, got quite a few things to go across today. First up is a bit of a, an apology and a discussion. We well, I think we have to make a, a public apology to the nation of Hungary for the terrible, terrible work that we have done in pronouncing Hungarian names. Uh, between the last episode, where we talked about quite a lot of Hungarian fencers, because they were producing lots of amazing results, um, and before we actually released the last episode, Cyrus of Chaos, uh, otherwise Andrew Fischel, mm-hmm. an American sabreur and commenter on, on fencing and producer of YouTube videos, uh, produced a, a short YouTube video uh, with a, a young American fencer, with you know from with a Hungarian background about how to pronounce Hungarian names, and it turns out we've been absolutely hopeless. To be fair, I don't think very many Hungarians get my name right. People from your own country don't get your name right. Gav. Exactly. In fact, the little plaque that we got from British Fencing for winning their Innovation Award last year uh, had your surname spelled incorrectly on it. Exactly. And considering that I know Georgina, I was a bit surprised. Yeah. Uh, you know, there you go. Get a better name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're we're going to try much harder to get our Hungarian names right in future. Mm-hmm. Do we want to have a trial run? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. You sounded a little reluctant there, but I'm going to force you to do it anyway. Okay. Okay. So, Gav, what is the name of the reigning women's AP Olympic champion? Uh, that would be uh, Messi Kovac. It's uh, well, yes and no. You've kind of got all the letters in there. Uh huh but not with the right pronunciation. Okay, and I, I have bookmarked this YouTube video on my phone and my laptop, but... Oh, no, hang on. The S is a Z, isn't it? The Mezzi... Well, the S on its own is a sh sound, so it's Emeshi. Emeshi. The S-Z uh-huh. in her second name is an S, so it's Emeshi Sass, and then her... Kovac. No, Kovac. No, Kovac. You were right. <sighs> so Emeshi Sass Kovac is the reigning Olympic women's epi champion. Okay. Um, we did talk a lot about the reigning Olympic men's sabre champion as well in the last episode. What's his mm. name again, Gav? Uh, <laughs> Aaron Silagi? Uh, very close, very close. You, you're getting the hang of it. So the S said at the start is an S sound. Mm-hmm. So Aaron Silagi. So the G-Y is a J sound. Right. So Aaron okay. Silagi. Mm. Okay. We'll keep working on it. Yeah. Okay. Fortunately, this time round, I think almost no Hungarians appear whatsoever. I mean, Brilliant. We're not, not disappointed about that as such, but it makes it much easier for us uh, <laughs> pronunciation-wise. Before then, though, I was at the British Youth Championships last weekend in Sheffield, where I had that sort of warm, warm, pleasant feeling that I had last year when I was wandering around the hall and the corridors and so on, and I would pass people that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. But they would look at me, give a little smile, 
I give me a wee nod because they, oh. they sort of were clearly listeners and they thought, oh, I know you. You're that guy from the podcast. So we're basically famous now. I, I wouldn't go that far, but yeah, it's nice to get that, that little bit of recognition. Yeah. And quite a lot of people came up to me to talk about the podcast as well. So that was that was nice. It's lovely. Um, what I did do while I was there as well was interview a guest that we've had on before, Georgine Asher, mm-hmm. CEO of British Fencing, because I wanted to talk to her about well, what's been happening in British Fencing since the last time I spoke to her, which was uh, March last year, and now, and what, what else we've got to look forward to going forward. But also to speak to her about her own fencing career and how she made the most of her ability. And here's what she had to say. Georgina, welcome back to the Fencing Podcast. Thank you for having me back, Sean. Oh, always a pleasure. So last time I spoke to you was just after the announcement that uh, UK Sport had drawn its funding for British Fencing's world-class programme. Yep. Um, came out of the interview feeling quite positive about your, your vision for, for British fencing, sort of moving on from that. So tell me what's been happening since uh, since I spoke to you last. Yeah, so it has been, um, certainly, the paraphrase the X Factor, a, a journey that's been... <laughs> oh, God, that's a <laughs> I think phrase. a terrible phrase, but that's what we've been on. Um, so since we last spoke, we obviously had to close down our entire world-class programme and really, since um, March, April 2017, that's when the, the, the last of the programme completed. We spent the next couple of months, if you like, doing the, the, the wash up, the tidy up. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that meant a number of staff and, and coaches um, were let go. And, and obviously, that's a great loss um, for, for British fencing and for the athletes. The athletes themselves, I think, have... have in some cases, you know, it's incredibly hard for them. They are doing it as best they possibly can with extremely limited resources. And I would admit, you know, we do what we can. We we would like to do an awful lot more for them, yeah. but that's been incredibly challenging for everyone. Um, and the bigger picture is that the World Class Programme did actually help a lot of people who weren't on the World Class Programmes in ways that perhaps they didn't see. Yeah. And when it came to a lot of the administration that goes on behind the scenes we've been putting in place volunteer structures to pick that up we've been hunting for independent selectors weapon captains and all that kind of thing just to to actually put the basic structure in place so that gb teams can get out there and compete for their country yeah yeah okay so uh, aside from the world class or the sort of international elite level um yeah what else has been happening well, right at the other end, we've had an awful lot of success with some of our community programmes, which are funded by Sport England. We have been doing a lot of work with the Scouts. We have also had um, some great success with a small project in East London, the Muslim Girls Fence Project, which has been backed also by Comic Relief and was recently featured on Blue Peter. Um, and we've also ramped up our Sabre Light programme, which is... Um, I, I hate to say a dumbed-down version of Sabre, but a simplified version of Sabre, which actually, I have to say, I, I tried it myself, and it's a, an awful lot of fun. Right. And it really appeals to people who see fencing and want to pick up a sword and hit their Ooh, mates cool. across the head. So that's what, exactly. Yeah. So you yeah, don't I'll have to have. Right. No, it is a lot of fun. And that's been very, very successful, and it provides a transition for those students who want to carry on and take take fencing on and join the fencing club but equally well it provides a fencing activity that they can do week in week out as well and have fun with and this is the thing I think that 
that at, at the one end of the spectrum, we've got people who are out there doing the Olympic level, international level fencing. But at the other end, we've got something incredibly fun to offer people, the yes. ability to smack their friends with swords. And I think that we really undersell how, how, <laughs> much, how much fun, fun that is. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. So what, what do we have to, to look forward to coming up from British Fence? Um, I think that the big thing as we move forward, it, um, we've been looking at how we support the whole GBR structure because ultimately that's what British fencing is there as a mechanism to help athletes compete for their country. We are the um, national federation that's recognised by the FIE and we have a responsibility to select teams and take them to major events such as Euros and Worlds. Um, and and a wrapped around the athletes, we've also got a need for coaches to operate at that level, for referees to operate at that level, for team managers to support those squads. And what I'd like to do going forward is to really start to create a much more of a holistic program that, that brings everybody together. Yeah. So in the past, where we've, talked, we've, we've had talent operating on, on, on the one side, which is largely focused on, on the athletes. And then we've got another area of work. We're work, working with our coaches and maybe in another area of our work, we're working with our referees. There's a real opportunity, I think, to say, oh, this should be part of a, a GBR program. Yeah. Bring, I, bring it all together. If, bring it all together. If you want to do something, if you want to be part of the GBR international fencing experience, whether it's as an athlete, as a coach, as a referee, as a team manager, then we should be operating and bringing that community of people together and upskilling them and giving them the resources to be better. Yeah, I, th- I think you're certainly right. Um, you look at the most successful fencing competitions, they don't have just successful athletes. They've yeah. got supported by great coaches, standard referees, high. The, the whole thing works yes. together to, to boost yeah. the standards all around. Yeah, and I think that's where you'll see much more in terms of what previously might have been called a talent camp, yeah. which people think is, or haven't thought, oh, well, this must be for the talented athlete. What mm-hmm. we're saying is this is about GBR camps, GBR development camps. If you are motivated to represent Great Britain at the highest level of your sport, then this is somewhere where you can go and get support and help and resources and access to information that can help you on your journey. Because at the end of the day, British fencing can't make you an international coach, fencer or referee. But what we can do is we can help provide you with the information that gives you some of the choices to make for yourself that can help you get to where you want to go to, as opposed to us telling you where you should be yeah, going to. It must be like this, but still offering some, some yeah. guidance. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Well, thank you for the update on what's been happening about fencing. We'll look forward to you. You can keep your CEO, CEO hat off now. A big heavy one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 what a relief. Um, so I, I can play. I want to ask you now about your your own career as a fencer. Yes. Um, I don't know whether that brings more of a smile to your face than talking about uh, your, your role as CEO of British Fencing. Oh, I think it's. I look back and I, I think that it does. I, I have, even though, and I will always put this out there, I didn't make it to the Olympics. So, in that aspect of, of everything I did, I failed. But if someone said to me tomorrow, you have to go and do it all again, with the same outcome, I would do it all again. It's a part of my life and a part of something I committed to that I would never change. Um, and it really has brought me a lot of a lot of joy, a lot of happiness, and equally a, a, a lot of 
tears, but something that is, it's, yeah, it's been amazing. It's something amazing to have the opportunity to do. And I think that's what I look at everybody and including myself, that Fencing for Great Britain in any, is, is, is not an entitlement. It's something that you, um, you know, and, and you don't, you're not, life doesn't owe you. It. It's, a, it's, it's an honour. It really is to be able to pull that tracksuit on. And, and as you know, I'm just as honoured to be able to pull a Scottish tracksuit on. Yeah. And some of my favourite memories are both winning for Scotland and winning for teams in Scottish ma- matches, mm. even though to others from the outside, they might say, well, surely this other event was more yeah. important. Yeah. It's about what is important yeah. to you. And, emotional and it is, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's start with the early stuff then. Um, I'm... A huge number of years older than you, uh, but we both both grew up in Edinburgh. Uh, yeah. So start started fencing with foil. Which uh, yes, was, was the the only option for it was. For, well, because for do you remember, Sean? At those uh, in those days, apparently women weren't strong enough to do epic. Well, so I, so. <laughs> uh, obviously, Sorry. I'm going to um, do do the right thing here. Uh, and <laughs> see that absurd. It, 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 absurd you look back on it, and and it just shows you how, if you like, quickly time has moved on. Yeah. Because in those days, you weren't allowed to, women weren't allowed to, I think, compete in until they were 15. Mm. So my foil coach at the time, Jean McClardy, and I'm sure you remember Jean, was so, a, yeah. a force of nature and and literally half the height of me. I said, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Be, at most. Yeah, at the yeah. most. <laughs> and I remember, I think, the first epi lesson that we did was Jean's first epi lesson and my first <laughs> epi lesson. And I think I would have been just probably, I was not quite 15. Uh-huh. So there we were secretly. Yeah, yeah, well, nobody's looking. Whilst nobody's <laughs> looking, doing an epee lesson. I think largely because she had got fed up of the fact that every time anyone moved in fencing, I just stuck my arm out. Mm. So there was a lot of a lot of foil matches that were just not going my way. Yeah. Um, but yes. And you thought, aha, just yes. the, I have just the thing for you. Just the thing for you. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's swap the weapon over. And um, yeah, and, and I think what was lovely is... is I fenced, I mean, I started fencing when I was 11, which actually is quite old these days. A lot of the youngsters are starting much younger. Um, I started at age 11. I don't think I won nearly anything. Um, I didn't win any style prizes either, which much to my disgust when there was prizes for everybody, there still wasn't a prize (laughs) for me. So they just didn't have the wooden spoon. Um, But I loved it. And this is what is so important now when I do some coaching that that is if a coach can do one thing for an athlete a young athlete is to inspire a love of the sport because even if they're useless as I was <laughs> putting that one out there I wasn't good no one would have gone oh wow that's a future talent for mm. Great Britain um, they would have gone oh bless still turning up <laughs> oh, week in not week God wants a trier yes <laughs> um, but but the nice thing is that I was never made to feel by Jean any the worse for the fact that I wasn't winning mm-hmm. in foil. And, and and so I stuck with fencing. Yeah. And then when we did Epe, suddenly I actually started to win things. Yeah. Which, of course, if you then start to be successful in something you love doing, mm. of course, that's yeah, more exciting. Yeah. Absolutely. So from your, your early years in Edinburgh, disappeared off to university at Cambridge? Yes. So I um, took a year out prior to that. Because one of the things that I had worked out was that fencing, by that stage, wasn't cheap. 
So when I was about age 15, 16, my parents said, no, that's it, we're, we're done on that um, expensive sport front. So if you're going to want to carry on fencing, you're going to have to find the money yourself. So after a few holiday jobs working in the pancake place in Edinburgh, I'm not okay. sure that's a plug for a restaurant that doesn't exist anymore. Sure it doesn't. But it wasn't. Um, I'd say somewhere somewhere above McDonald's and below Pizza Hut. Pizza right, yeah. 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 And, yeah. and I think it was £1.70 an hour. I, uh, yes, wow, yes. ruling in cash. I was ruling in cash. Yeah, that wasn't quite as financially lucrative as one would have hoped. Um, so I took a year out and got a placement job with IBM in Edinburgh. Right. And the, real, the purpose of that was just to earn money so that when I went to university, I had some cash to fence with. Yeah. And also at the same time, I made a massive effort to, to find a sponsor. Of course, back in those days, you couldn't just you'd rely on the internet to print out a whole bunch of letters. My first attempt to get sponsorship was handwritten. <laughs> Took out the yellow pages and I handwrote around 30 letters yeah. to companies. I chose any company... Uh, legal firms and accounting firms that had big adverts in the yellow pages. Right. Exactly. If you can afford a big advert in the yellow pages, you've got money. Um, and yeah, and I got some money off the back of that. And, right. and I think that that's one of the one of the lucky things that I had was, you know, I often say, what did my parents give me? They might not have given me the money, but they gave me the wherewithal and the support and the support through my education to be able to go, well, I can write this letter myself. Yeah. And I can go out and I can actually sell myself and I'm happy to talk to people about my plans for the future in fencing to the point at which they're willing to either believe me or take pity on me. Either way. <laughs> yeah, still, as long as they hand over the cash. As long as they hand over the cash, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. So I was very lucky. Um, and at the time, um, moving into university, I was supported by... Um, Bell Laurie White, she was a legal firm, and Grant Thornton, um, accountants. And off I went down to university with a bit of money in my pocket, yeah. which is very, very useful. Um, and basing myself in Cambridge, I then seemed to uh, tour the country from a large uh, Volkswagen Passat estate car, which was falling apart, fencing bag in the boot. And um, yeah, I missed a lot of things actually. I think I missed the, you know, very well, the ceremony when you arrive at university. It's not the graduation; that's the one at the end. But was it the oh, the one at the beginning? Or? All sorts of things so, I missed because yeah. of fencing. Um, yeah. And I spent a lot of time from Cambridge driving out of Cambridge. <laughs> so I used to drive down to Brentwood and on to the Polytechnic Fencing Club, which is in Regent Street, once a week, all the way down there. I used to drive over to Ipswich yeah. once a week. I used to drive to Colchester once a week. Monday was good because that was university training. Yeah. <laughs> it was straight after the weekend. Sometimes that was good, sometimes not so good. Um, so I didn't just sit in Cambridge. Yeah, we yeah, yeah. I and a lot of hours in the car, in a slightly sort of uh, broken down car. So clearly by that stage, you'd, you decided that you were going to seriously commit to fencing. It wasn't just a you know a sort of casual hobby that you know lots of people have when they're at school or at university. Yeah, I think that I mean it's quite interesting because I look back at what I did at university and I think well I I, I was clearly serious, but nothing like as serious as I then got afterwards mm. because at that stage you're at university. Fencing was a lot of fun, and it was absolutely part and part of my social life. It was me. There was no distinction, yeah. and therefore. I didn't want to stop. I wanted to do as much fencing as I could possibly do and I keep carrying on. But it was still just um, 
it's, it's a bit hard to explain, but I wouldn't say I was professional in, in my approach to it. Right. I just did... Did a lot of it. I did a lot of it. Yeah, yeah I did okay. a lot of training, a lot of competition. Quite working, yeah, well, you do, you know, and I decided one day, for example, that I wanted, I got beaten about five, I think in the old days you, you did five hits and I got beaten five one five nil by a world champion and it was horrific. It was very embarrassing. I scored one hit on her. She hit me with 10 flicks. And at that stage, I'd never been hit with a flick. Mm. Because, of course, you know, the the mantra of the day, obviously, alongside women who are not strong enough to do echo, they definitely can't flick. And so there I was being beaten um, and going, yep, yeah, that's not true, is it? (laughs) (laughs) That would... (laughs) That would seem to point the opposite, that women indeed can flick, and this one can flick ten, literally, I got hit ten times with the same move. So I went home and I thought, I'm learning that move. I am learning that move. So I spent a lot of time doing things like practicing on the back of an armchair, repeatedly flicking, Mm. just because the competitive part of me hates being beaten and hates, you know, if you can do it, why can't I do it too? Um, So I think all the friends who were in that time went through a similar phase first time we saw a flick hit. Yeah. In the what mid eighties, yes, in foil. Yeah. Went, went to Germany, saw yeah. this happening. Yeah. A junior World Cup. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> I need to have some. I of need that. one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And the way, I, well, the way I thought about it is that I think, and I still do, that the, in order to understand how people are hitting you with a move, it helps to be able to do the move. Yeah. So even though, for example, I'm I, I do I could do a foot hit if I really want to. It really is not a move of my choice yeah, especially but players. I understand how people and why people are hitting me and how you know, the, what conditions they're looking for and I think that's quite important in yeah. fencing to be able to, uh, to rationalise that rather than you kind of go as I did the first time I encountered it I didn't even know when I was stepping forward why I was exposed to be, be, being hit ten times in yeah. a row um, yeah so that that was so, so that, that kind of learning was quite self-directed in a kind of competitive way. Yeah. Um, but it was only really... So I graduated from university, and at that time, my brother and I, I think, both decided to do a bit of a, let's go to Hungary, do a bit of training. Um, and I sort of do look back on this, and I, the two of us sort of turn up at the station in Budapest and wander around and come across this little old lady who can't speak English. <laughs> and... <laughs> Go back to this apartment that she. I, actually, no, I know. I tell a lie. The first place we stayed in was this youth hostel in the in the back of beyond outside of Budapest, which was awful. <laughs> <laughs> it was just concrete floors. I think the showers were mixed. It was just one of the you know people were shouting all night, and and, and my brother and I were in the same room, sort of kind of going, "Oh my god, what have we done? <laughs> yeah, we're what have we done?" Right. Um, but um, yeah, so I think that. After so, I spent some time spent some time on and off in Budapest in what I call short bursts, and then went to work for what was then Anderson Consulting mm. for a number of years. And within about two years of working in those days, ridiculously hard, you suddenly get to the point where you think, "Is is this it?" Yes, this for the next forty years. Yes, yeah. and and that was really hard because I couldn't quite. Couldn't quite land that that this sort of I say fun that I've been I've been having, but you know, yeah. life up until that point, yes, we're struggling. It's hard work, but this was just not fun at all. Yeah, extremely long hours, extremely competitive, um, kind of an aggressive cut working culture, yeah. and it was just. And I thought, do I want to turn into one of the, 
this, this kind of person? Is this how you get on in life? Is it? I think that on the back of the 80s where everybody probably yeah. watched too many of the wrong movies. Yeah, and you know, you worked in that and then everyone behaved like that and it was quite not a very nice environment. Um, and so I did have that thing of, oh, what, what haven't I done? And I thought, the one thing I've never really done is taken my fencing seriously. Super serious. Now, people up until that point would be like, well, of course you've taken it seriously. You know, you, you've yeah. travelled the world, you've fenced for Britain, you've yeah. done all these things. And I said, yeah, but I've never really approached my fencing like it's a professional thing I want to be really good at. Yeah. And, it, and I made the, and I thought, that's what I'm going to do. Because I want to, it's all very well saying I'm number one in Great Britain, but at that stage, I don't, I don't even think I was in the top 100 in the world. So, you know, so could I be any good? Mm. Answer, don't know. But let's, you know, let's find out. Yeah. It's got to be more fun than work. <laughs> most, most things are yeah. more fun than work. Exactly. Certainly more fences. So yeah, yeah fences. Almost certainly right. Yeah. Um, but like all decisions, you can't then go, oh, well, resign tomorrow. And, yeah. and, 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 and Because again, there was no government body waiting in to go, oh, Georgina, you know, we'll back you outside yeah. the top 100. No signs of really knowing what you're doing. <laughs> um, there's no surprises there. So the first thing I had to do was earn some money. So that meant I had to change my job to one that paid a little bit more. Um, and, and that took about a year, two years to... Because my goal was to raise £10,000. Because right. I figured that with £10,000, I could then... This is in all... I would say in old money. I'm sure people <laughs> listening today would go, £10,000 is going to get you nowhere. It got you, it got you more in the late 90s, I promise you. Um, so I thought, I'll earn this money. And then I'll use that to go and, and train in Eastern Europe because that's got to be cheaper than training and living in London. Yeah. Um, so during the time I earned my money in London, I was still not, not wasting that time. I do remember doing... Again, I look back on this and I think, wow, I must have been really motivated because if someone said do this tomorrow, I'd be like, no. But getting up at half past five in the morning to cycle from you know an hour into a gym which was near my office, to be there when the gym opens at six o'clock, to do your session and then shower and get into the office by eight, do a full day's worth of work, and then where you can fitting in training after work. Yeah. And I do, rem- I do remember being in a lot of pain by lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember the pain. That's the overriding memory that by the time I got to lunchtime, I was like, oh my God, I can't move. But I do think back on it and go, slightly crazy. Mm. But... Again, you do that when you're motivated yeah. and you're really passionate and you really... Um, yeah, you that sort of inconvenience and discomfort. Yeah. It's just part of it. You know, and... If you, if you can't if you can't cope with that, then you're probably not really serious. No, exactly. Exactly. So there was a lot of pain there. And, and then I managed to get all the money together and um, move, move to, to Hungary. Um, and... Spent, I had an amazing time there and I did an awful lot of training. I took the approach that I had to do, um, pack it all in. So right. I remember I used to get up at 7.30 in the morning. I'd be running around the track at 8 o'clock in the morning at, at the club on my own. There was nobody else at that. The cleaner was there. Um, <laughs> nobody else actually. Nobody else was there. But to some extent, the way I saw it was that... The Hungarian fencers, and at that time the female Hungarian fencers, I mean, they still are incredibly good, but an amazing squad of women. Um, they had been fencing probably since the ages of six and seven, so they had done an awful lot of stuff, which I was trying to kind of redo. Yeah. 
So I would do my individual lessons in the morning, my strength and conditioning. I'd go home and, and, and have lunch. Um, but then I would come back in and I would fence all the under-17s and, and all the juniors and then do the senior session. Right. So then to how many hours a day then? I hate to think. I look back. I mean, I was quite tired by the yeah. end of that day. But I think they normally came inside, I think about 3.34. So it wasn't probably the, the afternoon session, I guess, three and a half four hours probably by the time I right. finished up and then the morning session would have been about two hours depending on yeah. you know, but with a break in the middle thank god so I could sleep Yeah. and then a lot of people said oh what did you do with your time I was like um, <laughs> sleep eat fence yeah. and again in those days no internet mm. which I often think was a good thing because I didn't have to look at pictures of what my friends were doing <laughs> because if I had had to post pictures of what my life was like it, it would have been really really yeah, dull short and variety yeah. yeah and then I would have seen all these pictures of probably my friends out in London enjoying themselves yeah. probably buying their first flats or cars or having social lives all yeah. of that sort of stuff um, I probably could have countered that with some beautiful Instagram shots of the amazing places that you got to visit yeah you know so there's yeah. probably some upside That's there awesome. But, so how um, did you find moving to Budapest? And it's, a, it's a beautiful city. You've been there a few lovely. times. Yeah. Um, but you know, having been, I suppose you've been there, probably been there before for competitions. You've done shorts. Yes, yeah. There. So I did two lots of going over, um, sort of before and after university for a short period of times. So when I did decide to go there, I, I had an idea of which club I was going to. But it's it, you do kind of look back on it and go. I'm not quite sure how that all worked worked out, but yeah. it did. You know, I'm still here. Nothing yes. bad happened. <laughs> you know, there was no internet, but you do you just turn out, and people did help, and they were welcoming. And you know, I remember turning up at the club and just sort of shuffling around a bit until we find someone who looks like a coach and try and <laughs> negotiate in pigeon English. Yeah, someone to give you lessons, and you just run with it. Uh-huh. Um, so it's whereas I think these days we would kind of go oh you'd have to plan all that out which club are you going to and where are you going to stay and you're kind of like oh it'll be fine there'll be some yep. somebody at the you station out, yeah. whatever um, and and actually the what what I what was quite lucky at the time was um, one of the another uh, British epis did live in, in Budapest and he was selling his flat so for a period of time I worked out it was cheaper to buy his flat than it was to rent in Budapest for right. two years so so at, at some point during that process I bought his flat and then lived there and then eventually sold the flat when I um, came back to the UK right. so during your time in Budapest yeah as you say you went there probably ranked at say the top 100 in the world yeah. in some some numbers some, some numbers. stats so I think that somewhere between 18 months and a year after really committing full time, I was in the top 16 in the world. Right. Now, which was quite, quite a phenomenal rise, but it's yeah. not. But I often think it wasn't just about the work. You don't just go to Hungary and that happens. I often no. think it's there's a whole load of work that was done prior to that. Mm. Certainly not just in terms of the financial, but in terms of the strength and conditioning. And by that stage also, I had a kind of wraparound support team that I had um, a physio, very good physio back in the UK. I had um, a sports psychologist to help. And a lot of these people were helping me for really reduced rates, mm. if not for free. 
Right. Did you sort of because, want to pay, pay your keys to them, or exactly? Yeah. Because, and I do think that any any athlete, um, if you don't have a lot of money to give back to everybody, you what well, you do have you do have to kind of go and you know, yeah. beg. And and there are, and I've been so fortunate that that when I think about, oh well, you know, Georgina went out and you did this. It wasn't just me who did that. Mm. There was a whole team of people that helped me. That, that created an athlete that, yeah. that, that was in the top 16 in the world. It was, you know, my fencing coach back in the UK. It was the, my fencing coach in Hungary. It was, the, you know, the, the support I got from a nutritionist, my physio who, you know, God help him, had a <laughs> job on his hands when I got him back to the UK often. Um, the sports psychology help that I had. Mm. And and that is essentially what the World Class Programme ultimately gave our athletes yeah. was all that support wrapped around them, but it was paid for and it was sorted out for them. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, I do think you can't, it, you could probably do it without a team of people like that, but I think that would be really tough. Yeah. So it's important to, to as, as I did when I was putting my um, consulting hat on, which was the work that I did do before um, giving up to go to Budapest, you're kind of like, well, what, what, what do I need to be successful? Because if I'm going to give up my professional career and tell my parents that all that education is going to be, <laughs> I say, put on hold for a little bit. Yeah. But you know, it can't have been the happiest moment in my parents' life when I told them I was going to jack in my amazing job and <laughs> become a full-time fencer. So if I'm doing this, then I owe it to myself to do it properly. Yeah. So what does properly look like? Properly doesn't look like just swanning along to training without kind of without a care in the world. It doesn't look like turning up to training late. It doesn't look like skipping sessions. Yeah. It looks like a lot of hard work and a lot of looking yourself in the mirror and going, "Are you fit enough? Are you smart? You know, smart enough? Do you have the right technical skills?" And asking yourself these questions constantly and constantly looking for ways to improve. And at the times where it's sort of you know seven, you know, you've done your four five hours training, and frankly, you just want to, yeah. And particularly with fencing, when you're having a bad day. Mm. It's a bad day because people hit you yeah, a lot. Yeah, bad day people hit you and you it know? happens repeatedly it, into again, the yeah, session. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, it's quite, it, it's not pleasant. And you have to push through that. You can't just go, oh, bad day. People, you know, I'm losing all my fights today. I'm going home early. That's the time to dig deep and go, I've still got to get something out of that, this session. Yeah. And if only I'm going to do my last fight and get four of this type of fit I've got to come away with something this has got to be worthwhile practice because every minute that I'm spending on a piece in Hungary is a minute that I'm not investing in my career I'm investing it in my fencing and I have to give it the same for me I had to give it the same value and I had I was moving house recently and I came across this box of paperwork and I was like oh what's open up and it was and I, I and put this in context for your listeners, we didn't have iPads and we didn't have computers and all that stuff. So paper and pen, that was... So for our younger listeners, the dark, yeah. the dark ages. The dark ages. I had, I had just, I had books of all, I write down all my fencing lessons after I had them all I, I, in shorthand. I had every competition that I had done, I did, I went out, I did an analysis of my opponents, analysis of how I fenced. I was busy filling in how many hours sleep I had, what I'd eaten to try and see if there was any patterns to how I competed, how much sleep I need, all of that kind of stuff. And all of this stuff, and nobody was over my shoulder looking at me. Yeah. Nobody checked my work. This was not for <laughs> yeah. show. And it certainly wasn't something I could post on Instagram to prove what an amazing professional athlete I was. It was just what what 
and, and looking back, you know, not unusual. These, this is what, and they still do. Yeah. The top athletes, if you're serious, you have to be professionally serious, and if you're motivated to do well, it do, you have to plan out your seasons. You have to set goals. You have to think about, you know, what you need to be better and to find a way of, of, of making that happen. And sometimes you have to go the long way around, which is two years of just earning money so yeah. you can then spend it on doing the World Cup circuit. But, you know, I think that for me, and partly because I think what I had to give up to do it, yeah. I thought I had to do it properly. Yeah. So this jump then that happened was not just the sort of, you know, the magic of going to Budapest. It was yeah, everything it put together. You, you don't require that uh, skill and improvement performance by resources to be in the right place. No, it would be wonderful if that was the case. Yeah, we'd <laughs> we all do Hang around, yeah, <laughs> good fences, and suddenly it all yeah. happened for me. Yeah. So how long were you in Budapest full time? Um, so I think it was somewhere between 96 and 97 until 2000, which was the Olympics. Yeah. And as I mentioned before, the, um, so the sports hall in Armenia, where I failed to qualify for the Olympics, doesn't exactly fill me with joy. No, it's not one of the happy memories. Um, but I think that was, for me... I was very realistic when I started that process. Of course, everybody sees the Olympics as the pinnacle, and yes. clearly that's where I wanted to go. But for me, it was more about I wanted to be the best fencer I possibly could be. Yeah. And actually, you know, that best fencer wasn't good enough to qualify for the Olympics at that time. But I do believe I look, for me, I look back on that, I go, I think I was quite a good fencer. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, after you didn't. Didn't make it to yeah. 2000. Yeah. Back to the UK. Back yes. To, back to working life. It, yes, not quite straight away. Um, I had to, well, I didn't say I had to, I was asked to support the modern pentathletes. So Kate Allenby hmm. and Steph Cook yeah. at the time were training for their moment of glory. Hmm. And so when I came back to the UK, I got a job with um, one of the guys that used to work with me um, before I moved to, to Budapest, and that was in Oxford. And I used to drive from Oxford down, I think at the time, to Reading and meet up with the pentathletes and train with them. And then when they went out to the Gold Coast, which was the Olympic yeah. preparation camp for Athens, I went with them. That was one of the hardest things I think I've ever done. Yeah, that must have been that was, quite painful. That hurt a lot. Yeah. Um, so often I think of things that one has to do in life and it goes probably not that not as difficult as that was because I think trying to keep a smile on one's face around all the athletes that are super excited to be going off to the games and you're sitting there kind of going an extra that's yes you're there as an extra you're there to support them and that's four years of my life that didn't quite pan out Um, but I like to think in some small way you know, maybe the, the, the result of those athletes and you know, you know, the middle. exactly they they tiny bit of that medal. Maybe I help contribute yeah. to it for them. So to kind of be generous in spirit on that one. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well, try and be a better person. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no, not easy. It not easy. No, no, and I don't think you can pretend that it was easy. It's just that. So after that, um, after that. Well, I think after that, I did some work in London and sort of on and off. I still carried on fencing, but by that stage, then I thought I'd better pay a bit of attention to having a career and yeah. earning some money and doing what yeah, normal people do. Yeah. Yeah. 
and then back to real moved, life. yeah, real life, and and moved back up to Edinburgh. I think after, and, and I always lose a bit track of time. It must have been about two thousand and four when I came back up, started doing yeah. a bit of coaching. I think I came back two, to two thousand three. I think yeah, came back because I remember doing a bit of coaching, which was always quite funny because round about round about that time, this must have been around about two thousand and three, two thousand and four. Came back to Edinburgh Fencing Club. And and I'm sure you were there that evening, and there were and I was given the students to give lessons to. Oh, okay, no, yes. I don't remember. Yes, but, um... so I, so <laughs> so one evening there I am, you know, I've given lessons to this guy, and I've been giving lessons to him for a few weeks, and um, and I go to shake his hand at the end of the lesson, and he looks at me and he goes, "You're Georgina Usher." You, you didn't say you're the Georgina. No, 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 he went, you know, you're Georgina Usher, and he sort of looked at me, and I thought a bit strange because. Having given him a lesson for a number of weeks now, you would have thought he might remember who I am. And he, then he goes in and he looks at me and he goes, didn't you used to be good once? Ooh. <sighs> Ouch. And it all, but, <laughs> yeah, but it just... So once, once he'd got up off the floor, <laughs> no, and, you know, the, exactly. the, the cuts had healed. The cuts healed. But it was really interesting because it made me, when you think about it, it... It is like, you know, life is, when you're doing your fencing and it is the most important thing to you, you think it is so all-consuming. But in the grand scheme of things, it, it isn't really, yeah, isn't it's it? A, it's, it's, a it's a flicker, it's cool. yeah. you know? And and so within within two, two years or whatever it is, you know, the community's forgotten about you, everyone's moved yeah. on, the next generation of fencers are coming through and... You know, and you're not that important, frankly. You're just somebody <laughs> who gives the odd lesson down a fencing club. Yeah, you see, you see, um, okay. Yeah, but I think that's nice, and and that's the way it should be. It's probably because, healthy, really. Yeah, yeah. That's because how I, works. Yeah, because you don't want. You know, the, the next generation needs to come up. They need to learn their own lessons, find different different ways of doing things, and not sit there just kind of putting top fences on some pedestal that they then feel they can't reach fact is that you know all the top fences they are human and they are beatable and much as i think when when we're up there we like to pretend that we are not beatable yeah. just so they, they don't think that they can beat us it's only the image you want to project it, no exactly but um yeah you know there's there's lots of opportunity for young fences to come through and not say ignore all the lessons that i've learned but certainly not sit there and feel in any way kind of put off or that they they can't go and achieve Greater things, in fact, I do. Now, strangely, you, you sort of always make it sound like your involvement in competitive fencing always came to an end uh, in in two thousand. But that's not really the case at all. So, well, I think. I mean, like, even now, you still have the occasional outing. You, I, I do. Winning, yes, winning Commonwealth champion. Yes, yes. No, I, I do. I do. I, I had. Um, I think I came back in two thousand and six because I'd been in hospital and. Um, spent a long time recovering and my when I was as I was recovering I thought I need a motivation to actually be able to walk and do exercise and so I thought oh I know I'll you know that sport I'll, I'll get back and do fencing yeah. so it took me um you know quite a long time to to get back and I came back in fact to the nationals I managed to get a bit of a wild card in at the time I think they let me in out of whatever and then I won that year and then the next year, managed to get pregnant with Isla just before the Commonwealth. So I remember I was at the Commonwealth, um, suffering quite a great amount with morning sickness, trying to cheer on the team. Uh, I think some of them got the grumpy end of it as well. Yeah. Um, and then had, but definitely, st- so had, 
had Isla, and then, and by that stage, I think then really kind of my involvement in fencing had, mm. had really tailed off. Yeah. Um, and then got pregnant with Rory and had him in 2010. And by by the second child, I, I worked after having Isla. By the second child, I thought um, having two children, it was all getting a bit complicated. I thought, well, I'll take some maternity leave, take some time out. And of course, 2012 is around the corner, isn't mm, it? Yeah. And of course, everybody goes, oh, 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 the Olympics. And so anybody that did any sport, the question you're constantly like, oh, you're going to try and qualify for the Olympics. Yeah. And of course, you're kind of going, mm, it's not really very likely. <laughs> but I do, I do always love a challenge. Yeah. You know? And the question is, well, I don't know. How good could I be? How good could I be? Yeah. Um, don't really think I could be that good, but yeah. well, love question, a challenge. What's the question's asked? Yes, you think, yeah, no. why not? right timing you know two weeks after having Rory why not <laughs> you know let's just 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 get back out there so um, and also I'd put on quite a lot of weight so I was about two stone heavier right. um, having given birth to, and not straight away I would add so a month later the the so-called magic weight loss hadn't exactly yeah, happened it failed to materialise it totally failed to materialise yeah, and I realised I put my fencing breeches on I couldn't even do the bottom of the zip up I mean you know we were completely um, so I thought right I, 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 I could do two things with this. I could just let it go. Just Make yourself comfy on the sofa. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder. Um, or, you know, I could, could get could get involved again and, yeah. and, and do fencing. So I, I got back involved and it was, and I really, you know, and at that point I loved it. I was doing it for myself. Mm. I didn't expect anything from anybody, least of all myself. Um, it was a little bit difficult sometimes. I do remember taking Rory to the odd fencing lesson <laughs> and chucking him in a corner yes. and, and keeping my fingers crossed yeah. that he would sleep through the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, he'll be fine. Um, although, to be fair, I did take some fencing lessons whilst I was pregnant with him. Right. So I figured that, you know, the sounds of the blades has got to be a kind of like a lullaby, isn't it? You know? Of course, yeah. yeah keep yeah. that going. Yeah, accustomed to the idea yes, as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he then started moving. That's always a bit difficult because they... <laughs> I'll have to see your word for it, but yes, I, I can imagine that's true. Um, and yeah, and, and that was was great. I really and when I came and again when I came back into it, I took all the lessons I'd taken from the last time, and I didn't just sort of do it just to see. I did it pro- as properly as I could. To be fair, um, I again I had support from a physio. Um, and from um, very lucky actually my family supported me my husband particularly always a shout out to the other half and well, those, you know, yeah, there. thanks <laughs> um, <laughs> and the um, yeah so I at the time Robin Knight who mm-hmm. was a um, well is a Commonwealth Gold Supra yeah. he um, we did a lot he did the personal training Oh, okay. So it was really great to get personal training from a fencer. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of work together, did a lot of fencing. And within, I think within about a year, I got up to number two in the UK and managed to get back in the GB team for the European Championships, which yeah. was fantastic. And then I think the following year made it into the top 75 in the world rankings. Now, again, you know, for many people listening, they're just like, yeah, well, well that's nothing. Mm. But for somebody like myself... It's a fair bit to well, do for anyone. I was in... I was impressed with myself. And again, that's that thing of what motivates you in your sport. What motivated me when I was perhaps 20, 21 or 27 is different to what motivates you after you've had two children aged somewhere upwards of 40. Let's not pin that down too, actually. No, let's not. Let's not. I'll get it by you, my face, but let's not. (laughs) (laughs) 
And um, yeah, so, and then having done the 20, 2012, um, came and went, and somehow I was convinced then to get involved in fencing from a more administration perspective. Um, and yeah, and via a, a not so exciting story, obviously, ended up being chief executive of British Fencing. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the sad thing is, is I do, I do really miss it, because uh-huh. I, I love fencing and it is my passion. Um, and I do feel I don't quite get enough of it. So I do the vets, which I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And Not proper vets, baby vets, I would just like to point out, get yes. to keep your age shroud mystery sort of 40 that's plus. That's right, not yes. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right, yes. Plus, the, yeah, the, the yeah. European important distinctions. Yeah. And that's not the competition for people who heal cats and dogs, that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah. the other ones, yeah. The other ones. But, so I've been doing a bit of that, but I, I definitely, not that I'm coming from my would have been third or fourth and fifth comeback but I <laughs> lost count by now yeah I think I've given up retiring I think that's probably the best way to describe my fencing I might as well just sort of go you know what yeah, still, some years still going still yeah. going yeah. some years I'll fence yeah. some years I'll coach I even did the odd bit of refereeing and managed to count to 10 today which was well great yeah, thanks for that um, and and I and certainly what has what I have realised throughout the work that I've done in fencing is exactly how much other people have done to help me be successful. Mm. Because I remember I spoke before about the team of people I had around me yeah. at the time, you know, it was my physio, my physio, et cetera, et cetera. Well, when you move into the administration, you suddenly realize that there's another layer of volunteering going on. Yeah. And those are all the people that are doing all the selections. Those are all the people who are doing you know, team managing roles. I think back and I think, gosh, you know, there were some poor GB coaches who used to take us away as squads of athletes. And I look back and I think, my goodness, you know, and I probably don't have the opportunity to turn around and actually thank them for all those hours of thankless activity they did with a bunch of young fencers who took them for granted. So yeah. part of what I like to do is try and find opportunities to just give stuff back to the next generation who probably equally won't know it's happened for them. We'll be able to make sure that you're, yeah. you're there, yeah. yeah. But so in a few years' time, they might Exactly. Well, yeah. You know, and hopefully when they... Weather. Exactly. And I think that's going to be really important for the future of fencing because the future of fencing in this country and the way public funding's going, it's not something... British fencing is not going to be some big public-funded organisation it's a small organisation with a very limited amount of paid staff there to support the members mm. and an army of volunteers yeah. who are all doing all sorts of jobs, whether it's on the safety committee or the rules committee, as I talked about full selection, or team managers and the referees that were working so hard today. And, and if that community all comes together... The sport is so much stronger because of it, yeah. and it provides a platform for the future champions to come through. And yeah, and I think that so my role is not so much necessarily, although I do love the blade in hand stuff and, and being a fencer, but it's got to be wider than that now. Um, and unfortunately, before you ask the question, yes, my daughter has picked up a weapon, <laughs> but it's epic. I will. <laughs> yeah, I will not let offence Well, let, let me know when she starts appearing at competitions. So I'll, I'll come and have a word with her and explain that there is a better way. There is a better way. No. Well, Georgina, thank you very much. It was a neatly circular interview bringing you, bringing you back to your, your current involvement in the sport. Thank, I mean, you. thank you very much indeed. That's been absolutely fascinating. Pleasure. Thank you, Sean. 
So there we go, eh? Who'd have thought that anybody would tell Georgina Usher that uh, she was too frail to do Epi? Yeah, um, assuming they've still not found the body and it will remain an unsolved crime forever. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, it, was, it was a different time, different politics. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, I mean, I remember when Women's Epi was first introduced, it seemed long overdue and... Um, the initial British teams were largely made up of uh, pentathletes, actually, who'd, who'd had experience with fencing EP as, mm-hmm. as part of their event. And uh, it's, well, I mean, the fact that I can remember remember it suggests it's not really that long ago or that I'm no. very old. It's one or the other, or maybe a bit of both. Yeah, but it, it, I mean, if you think about it, it's really not that long ago, not in real terms. Yeah. You know, and then we've only just had Sabre put in as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's strange. But yeah. I mean, as always, fascinating talking to Georgina. Mm-hmm. And uh, hearing her her story of how she, she as I say, made the most of, of what she had and was really thorough about it. And I, yeah, exactly. I, I didn't see it to her at the time as a you know as a, a template for an aspiring international fencer. Georgina is pretty she's much good, as close good, as she's going to get. She's a good model. I mean, if you want to do it, you can do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it just becomes that much more difficult if you have no money. Yes. You have to find a way to do it. But, you know, there's some stuff, interesting stuff to take take away from what Gina was saying. For example, the Yellow Pages. Remember the Yellow Pages? A historical reference. Exactly. If you're in the Yellow Pages, you must be you must have tons of cash. Yeah. So uh, you know, phoning them up, just getting getting the book out and looking at the big the big adverts and phoning those guys and saying, Do you uh-huh. have any money? I'm a fencer, I need to go hungry. And these days I think we do it through crowdfunding. Yes. Yeah, which is just like so strange, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah things, have, things have moved on. Mm-hmm. Um, so, take turn to some some results. Yes. Since the last time, we've had three World Cups mm-hmm. uh, after after a short break after the, the World Cadets and Juniors. Mm-hmm. And first up, we've got Tower Bishop's Heim Women's Foil. So, well, let's dive straight into that. Early departures, Ariana Irigo, uh, up and down season continues straight in the last 64. And the runner-up at the last Grand Prix, and Sauer of Germany, also going in the 64. Mm. In the 32s, Innes Babacri, Nicole Ross, and Camilla Mancini of Italy, all in the 32. And in the last 16, Lisa Volpe, mm. which made our quarter-final line-up. Uh, Derek Lasova against Svetlana Tripapina, which is a, a one-sided route for the, the senior Russian of those two, mm-hmm. with a 15-4 win for Derek Lasova. Lee Kiefer beat uh, Chiaratini of Italy, 15-11. Tion Hisuk of Korea beat uh, Isoratibus of France uh, in a nail-biting 14-13. And Leone Ebert of Germany, uh, who we mentioned having a slightly disappointing World Juniors, uh, returns to form in the seniors, though, uh, beating Elisa Vardaro uh, 15-13 to advance to the semi-finals. So our semi-final lineup: the two big names, I suppose, in the, in the first one, Derek Lozova against Kiefer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know you're going to be disappointed here, Gav, yep. but it uh, wasn't Totally one-sided, mm-hmm. but Derek Lozova take the win. Kiefer determined to take the initiative all the way through the fight, and yeah, had, had a bit of success with that at the start. But Derek Lozova largely looked fairly unruffled by, right. by Kiefer's attempt to, to to force the pace. What was the score again? Fifteen uh, ten in the end. Fifteen ten. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Kiefer tried everything to, to vary her attacks, keep the pressure on, change the sort of rhythm and tempo of her footwork mm-hmm. uh, to. To keep Derek Lozova guessing, mm-hmm. um, but you know, fight fight was close up to you know, fairly late in the fight. I think it was sort of twelve ten at one point. And Derek Lozova 
kind of stretching out a lead. Right. Just about you know, just about keeping our nose in front, but finish it off with uh, two attacks in preparation is right. Keep, you know, keep her sort of perhaps feeling a, a little desperate. Need to need to do something. Need, need to do something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. And uh, yeah, Derek goes over picking her off with two two good attacks in prep to finish mm-hmm. it off. So as I say, a fifteen ten win. I know it's not the result you want, Gav. No, no, because I'm a big uh, Leaky for fans. Yeah, so. right. I mean, we, we both are. Yeah. We both are. Yeah, couldn't couldn't get it done this time. So on to second semi-final, uh, Gion against Ebert. I haven't seen a whole load of Gion fencing before, uh, and I've kind of forgotten how athletic she is and right. how well she moves. Uh-huh. Uh, looked, looked really good, and, uh, and she has a fantastic attack and preparation. Her ability to, to switch from moving backwards, maintaining distance, and then as soon as the... As soon as an opponent, Ebert in this case, mm-hmm. kind of loses control of her preparation a little bit, she's able to launch a, you know, a really fast attack, right, changing okay. the direction really explosively. It's, uh, it's quality stuff, actually. Um, so Gion was uh, 7-4 up at the first break. Ebert sort of fight, fighting to stay in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she never really liked control of the fight, but prepared to prepared to scrap and yeah. pick up her points where she could. Good in fighting. Well, I mean, in the end, that, that kind of works for her. Uh, uh-huh. She managed to actually claw that deficit back and, and take the lead at, at 12-11. Really? And you think, you know, Ebert's going to scrap her way through this and, and, and take the win. But it was a it was a sort of three-card trick exercise to, to finish off the last four mm-hmm. hits. Jean hits with a counter-attack, so then Ebert puts her blade a little further forward than the next one to avoid being caught with the, the counter-attacks. Mm-hmm. Jean hits with a parry riposte. Yeah. Ebert, take, Ebert takes her blade away a little bit again. Gion hits her with the, the attack in preparation as she loses, uh, Ebert loses control of her footwork a little mm. bit. And then Ebert thinks, oh, well, I need to go for it a bit more. And Gion hit, hits her off with another, picks her off with another counter attack to finish the fight with a yeah. uh, 15-12. So a really, a really entertaining fight. Thoroughly enjoyed that one. Good, good. It's that textbook stuff, that. That's what you, that's what you coach them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, a, a sort of proper tactical development of a fight mm-hmm. uh, to, to finish it off. So that was really impressive from, from Gion. As I say, the sort of big name semi-final had been Kiefer against Derek Lozova. So I think it would be fair to say that uh, Derek Lozova went to this as a considerable favourite. Mm-hmm. Cautious from both, though. Derek Lozova marginally up at the first break, 3-2 up. Pace picks up a little bit in the second period, but it's still not exactly still not exactly racing through it. Derek Lozova starting to score with some nice attacks. You know, neither of them had been that willing to commit to anything too much in the first period and stretches her lead out to go do well to go nine four up at at one point and it's nine five at the okay. at, at the second break. Uh, and my feeling at that point was that Derek Lozova was you know going to continue yeah. to stretch that lead away and, and end up with a comfortable win. But Gion finally manages to to score with a sort of signature hit of the attack on preparation, kind of relatively early in the third period, which kind of seems to to shake Derek Lozova up a little bit and eventually uh, Gion manages to level it at 10 all, and suddenly it's a uh, you know it's it's anybody's game you know, Gion's dragged herself back into the match uh, from mm-hmm. a position where that really didn't look terribly likely level at 11 all, level at 12 all. Derek Lozova takes control of the fight to go 13-12 up with a parry repost mm-hmm. with very little time left and uh, Gion's left with with no great option but to to just hurtle down the piece and try and and we've all been there try and level it yeah yeah and against somebody as defensively solid as Derek Lozova that's very hard to do yeah uh, so in the end uh, a thirteen twelve win for Derek Lozova for mm-hmm. well yeah yet another Derek Lozova win she has yeah. been thoroughly the the dominant figure in women's foil this year uh, a great final a great final it took a while to get going but the but the end of it properly exciting mm. and uh, yeah I mean maybe when you look at the score you think a thirteen twelve that doesn't sound that great but it was a really Engaging fight all the way through it. I oh, mean, right, okay. 
I know you're you're an APS Gav, so you're <laughs> yeah, you may think the the idea of a thirteen twelve win's pretty exciting and high scoring, but uh, yeah. for us foily types that may at first glance not seem that appealing. But it's right. a r- thoroughly good final. Really enjoyed it. Well, why, why go to fifteen when you can win with one hit? Yeah, that's true. I suppose. <laughs> so back to World Cup territory. It's uh, teams on the teams on the Sunday and another Russian win. Uh, so this is the final World Cup for right. Royal this season, okay. which means Russia won four out of the five this season and finished second in the other one. Right. So it was all Italy last year. This year, all Russia. It's all about the Russians. Mm-hmm. Uh, Italy did finish second. Uh, France third, and the USA finishing fourth. Uh, fairly. Fairly comfortable win in the final against Russia, mm-hmm. uh, Russia and Italy uh, with forty five thirty six. Um, I do think that Italy are are missing Bettini. You think? Yep. She's, what's that? What's happened to Bettini again? Uh, she's pregnant. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, um, a slightly off colour or maybe slightly distracted Erigo uh-huh. uh, Alicia Volpe has been one of the stars of the stars of the season, mm-hmm. but then that. Third spot seems to be not as not as solid as as when Bettini yeah. was was there, yeah. and mm-hmm. the Russians are taking full advantage of that and dominating the women's foil scene in the teams this season. So that was Tiber. It was good. I was really good. enjoyed it. Yep. I have to I have to go back and check it out because I haven't actually watched any of that yet. Ah, you should. Yeah, some some quality stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so what well, our next one would be the uh, women's EPI World Cup in Dubai. In Dubai. In Dubai. Excellent. And we think this is the. First time it's run in Dubai? Yes. Um, I I went looking for, for results for last year to see you know, who was defending a title load and so on. Uh, couldn't find anything for Dubai. So I'm not, I can't remember what actually it's replacing, but I think it's a a, a new event. Mm-hmm. So I obviously we watched it. I suppose we should have a little bit of a chat about what it looked like um, because it's the first one, you know. But presentation-wise, it was good. Yeah. I mean, it, it looked nicely done. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's a big sports hall. I mean, it's a big sports hall with once, nobody in it. Well, yeah, <laughs> that was that was the thing that got me was there was nobody in it, so the hall was a little bit empty looking. There were people there, but it just wasn't wasn't perhaps as busy as it, I might have hoped. Well, remember we we are spoiled, you know, because we go to we go to Paris every year, and it's a a venue that's set up well to give a you know a real feeling of intimacy in the crowd being yeah. on top of the fencers, yeah. and it's packed. Yeah, so that's a lot to live up to for yeah. for. Any of the World Cups or Grand Prix, but but I guess I mean time will tell on this one. But what I thought was interesting was that the commentator for this one was uh, a local guy, right, uh, who was speaking in Arabic. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to figure out what it was he was talking about. But he certainly certainly seemed to be talking about something. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> but he certainly, I mean, he certainly sounded like he, he, he commentary was good and enthusiastic. But okay. uh, I, what what the detail was, I couldn't tell you. Okay, if here's a choice, you get to listen to a guy commentating in Arabic, uh-huh. which you can't understand, or you can listen to David King. Oh, so, uh, the Arabic. You can learn Arabic. <laughs> yeah, learn Arabic. <laughs> yes. There's a sort of musical quality to Arabic as well. Which Excellent, is quite, that sounds which is, great. Yeah, I'll yeah, go for that. Yeah, um, right. Okay, so it's the first one. Uh, it's not as big as some of the some of the other ones, but it was reasonably well attended. There were about 190 attendees, which I think is pretty good. Yeah, that's a good number. Yeah, early leavers with us with uh, Shana Lam went out in the 64. All right. In the 32, uh, we lost uh, Kravitska, uh, Kelly Hurley, and Fiamingo. All right. Okay. Uh, they all went out in the 32. But that wasn't sort of the end of all of the sort of the sort of the slightly larger names that that left us uh, out in the last sixteen. Uh, we lost uh, McKinnon, obviously of Canada, and uh, Anna Maria Papescu went out in the last sixteen. Okay, a, a recent 
mm-hmm. winner, that means return yeah. to the winner's uh, circle. So our quarterfinals are uh, our first quarterfinal. We'll start with that one, and that was uh, uh, Saskovac. Uh, against uh, UN Sun, Sun UN uh, of China. Uh, quite a close one here uh, with Sun edging uh, Sass out 15-12. Okay. A 15-12 is an EP. That can be that can be really close or 15-12 can feel really comfortable. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I didn't see it, so I, I can't comment. I, I didn't see this one either, so I'm not going to make any comment on it at all. Okay. The second uh, quarterfinal was... Uh, it was Choi against uh, Ritzy, and Choi beat uh, Ritzy quite comfortably, fifteen ten. Oh, okay. Uh, a third quarter final uh, was a Zoo of China against uh, uh, Lawrence Epi of France, mm-hmm. and uh, Lawrence Epi. I mean, I've seen some some videos of her. Uh, she doesn't. She hasn't really troubled the top the top end of the the table at all, as far as I can tell. Okay. Uh, so this, this, this is, is a, this is a good result. result. This is a very good. This is what you would term an epi result, I think. Uh, and she beat uh, she beat you fifteen eleven. All right. Okay. So this is this is I th- I'm almost certain now that this is her first semi final uh, at all ever. All right. On the senior, senior level. Yeah, right. Senior circuit. She might have gotten to the last eights and sixteens. Uh-huh. I'm sure if I'm wrong, someone's going to correct me. But I, no I don't think she's ever troubled this end of the the table yeah, before. So. And our final quarter final was is. is was uh, Coraline Batalis of France uh, versus uh, Violetta Kolobova of Russia. Uh-huh. And uh, Kolobova beat uh, Vitalis 15-14. Now, Vitalis was the name of the French epist that I couldn't remember last time round. That's correct. Yep. So well so, done. Yeah, belated, <laughs> belated congratulations to uh, yeah. Coraline. This actually gave us uh, two interesting semi-finals. Uh, our first one was uh, Sun Yuan of China versus Injun Choi of Korea. So you've got kind of Sort of the contrasting style. You don't have any, you've got two very similar fences here. They're both relatively tall, although Sun is quite a bit taller uh, than, than Choi. Uh, they're both pommelers, uh, and neither one of them is, uh, shall we say, particularly interested in the attack. Patient, patient, yeah, patient. But the actual fight itself was it was okay. Um, Sun just stuck to her guns and waited for Choi to come to her, and Choi was a little bit more aggressive. She did push a little bit more, but the score itself was. I described it as a, it's like one for the purists. Ooh, yeah. The other, the other sort of damning, damning description would be uh, cagey. Cagey. I don't know if it was cagey, but it was definitely it was it was very tactical in the middle. Oh, ta- tactical, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I, I, look, just look, glancing down at my notes with, here. Without watching, I have, I have a very clear visual image of of me falling asleep. Yeah, so basically, it boils down to this. I, this I'm just going to read it, read it straight from my notes here. So there was lots of noodling. And every time someone took initiative, the other person got the hit. <laughs> that's, that's boiled it down pretty yeah. well, I think. Uh, to be fair, Troy actually went up a little bit at the start. Um, she actually was leading 3-1. Uh, but that was the end of our first period. So right. what happened was we got to a point where if the if the score was getting way, well, we're just going to call it quits, have a minute, you know, have a break, roll it on to the next period. So in period two, uh, there was a really lovely step lunge from uh, from from Sun. Okay. okay, actually, so uh, from Sun, and I've just realised I've read the scores out the wrong way around. Actually, Sun was leading three one. Oh, okay, okay, and then there was a step lunge, and this, and at this point, Sun does a step lunge, and it was four one, and I was starting to think, mm, hang on a second, this might be getting a little bit away because, you know, Sun's obviously quite highly, you know, quite quite a good fencer, and then it was five one. And I was thinking, oh, we're on for a right here. Uh, but then Troy starts to pull it back a little bit. She's the, she scores a hit. And then there's a really lovely flesh to take it back to 6-3. Again, it just sort of devolves back down to this game again where, where it's in the middle and it's there's not very much happening. 
if someone tries to push, the other person's going to get the hit. And we just sort of, uh, sort of move on through the scores until we get to 7-3 when Troy unleashes an absolutely corking uh, toe hit. It feels like it comes from nowhere. And the, the score itself just goes on and on and on like this again. And at this at this point, I was actually starting to think that that this that, that Troy was starting to get to get our toe back in the game because we were at seven three, and Troy had been trying this move where she was poking for the wrist and going for the toe, and she wasn't quite getting it. And this is what lost the lead. But she pulls one off to go seven four. Right. Okay. She then does a a, a, a really lovely counter attack. Okay. Because she manages to get Sun to attack, 7-5. And I'm thinking, oh, this is getting interesting now. And the scores are racking up quite quite, quite well now. Uh, Troy does the same thing again. She baits the Sun. Sun bites for it. Troy pulls off a lovely little ducking stop hit. Lovely 7-6. Right. And actually, at this point, I was really invested. I was actually getting really, really, really into the, the match itself. Um, we finish here. At, at period 2 is now over. And we start period 3. Troy comes straight out of the traps. R- rushes in. There's a little, there's a little bit of... Uh, infighting and this time we get a lovely nice preem flick from from Troy with a French grip so that's good that's, yeah. that's good stuff we're at 7 all and I'm thinking really on for a comeback now and then Troy opts to, to say no we'll just go for the golden minute oh so she's picked up what four hits on yep. in a row yep she, she's worked out son uh-huh. it's uh, it's all going really really well uh, and then she, she just opts to take the golden minute and I think this was uh, a serious mistake, basically, because it allowed Sun to have a few seconds to get her, get her act together yeah. and figure out what was going to happen next. And essentially, that minute just went the way it should have gone at the start. Troy gets the first hit, and then after that, it's all Sun, right to the end, basically. Right. Uh, so we just get another hit. A couple, Sun equalises. She gets another hit. She goes ahead. At that point, trying it with the clock going down, uh-huh. Troy has to start chasing it. Yeah. And then it goes, uh, sun stop hits, sun stop hits, sun stop hits, sun stop hits. And the actual score finishes 15-11. Yeah. Right. And I think I think looking back, if I was to, to say, I think the tactical error here from, from Choi was she'd pulled it out, she'd pulled it back, she'd figured out sun, and then she let sun have enough time yeah. to figure out what to do to next. To get off the hook. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think I was kind of kind of angry. I actually would arg, don't go for the minute, Choi. <laughs> so there we go. So it's 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 not what I would call a thrill a minute m- match, but it certainly it ticks over. Okay, right. uh, the second the, the actual second uh, women's epi semi final much more interesting because you've got um, Kolobova, who's a known uh, epi fencer, yeah, quite quality, quite sort of quality tall, fencer, uh, up against uh, sort of an uh, kind of an, somebody we're not really familiar with this uh, compact short uh, fencer called Epi, uh, and she's actually a French gripper as well. Excellent, yeah. It's a much more. I, th- I thought this was actually a much more interesting, uh, interesting fight. But there's, there's not there's not so many astonishing moves, if you know what I mean. It, it just it just okay. happens. More action though. There's more action. It actually yeah. happens. The first period finishes six uh, five to Kolobova. Right. Uh, with uh, Kolobova, she just took an early lead, and then Lawrence kind of struggled a little bit to get back on top. And uh, anyway, so we finished the, that first period six uh, five. Period two opened up with an awesome, and I mean awesome, toe hit from Kolobova. But uh, so she goes seven five up at this point. But at this point, uh, Lawrence seems to sort of gather her wits about her and just pulls her back. She brings her back to seven, uh, to seven all, and these are with the sort of what you describe as these sort of traditional French kind of style uh, preps. When when your opponent bites, you do something different. So you know a little poke to the wrist, finish on the knee. Yeah, poke to the wrist. You, you know your opponent pulls back their hand. You f- you flesh it. That kind of stuff. Mm. Anyway, and it just goes hit for hit for a little while. We get up to 11-12. And then at this point, it looks like Lawrence really has got Colobova's number. There's a little lovely hit there to uh, 
to get ahead at 12.11. And after that, Kolobova sort of breaks down a little bit. She starts kind of, uh, sort of just sort of charging in. And the next three hits are just straight counters from, uh, from Epi. Oh, okay. That's so it's, it's kind of like she must, I think Kolobova must have lost her cool at this point. Right. And that's essentially just how it finished off. I mean, she just couldn't do anything with Lawrence. Lawrence had worked her out. She had the distance correct. And it was just hit for hit. Up to, uh, sorry, she got all the hits, sorry. And it went up to, it finished 15-11. All right. Okay. Yeah. So that's actually quite an interesting match. And I would mm-hmm. recommend you go back and have a yeah, look at that one. Yeah, that well worth it. Yeah. Uh, so that gives us sort of, a, an, a, sort of an unexpected final. So we've got, you know, Sun Yuen uh, up against the sort of unknown... Uh, French, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, a surprise finalist. Uh, yeah, Lawrence Epi, not not a star, competent defender. Certainly heard of her. Yeah, her name almost catches the eye, I suppose, to some degree. But mm-hmm. yeah, certainly from what I can remember, that this is her first time in a on, on the podium at senior level, and yeah. first time in a final. Yeah, exactly. So you win. Yeah, much more of a M- much more experienced. Yeah, let's let's put it this way. I don't think I don't think Hugh looked particularly worried going into this right. match. <laughs> uh, anyway, so do you think we had the romantic finish that we all wanted? Uh, which would that be? Well, uh, the, the, um, Triumph of the Underdog. Triumph of the Underdog, with the correct name. There's something in your voice that makes me think no. No, no. We, but we, but let's just say we had a bit of a masterclass here because, uh, one for, again, it's one for the traditionalists. The first period, passivity. Sorry, non-combativity. Mm-hmm. We, we just get it over and done with. No hits? No hits, nothing. nothing. Okay. Yeah, it's a classic. <laughs> uh, uh, period two opens up. Uh, Lawrence obviously decides that oh, we're going to try something different this time. Charges out, gets the first hit. Excellent, nice and aggressive. She keeps pushing Sun. Uh, we get a nice little double out of it, two one. I'm starting to think, oh, this is looking good. She actually scores a little lovely flesh, which must be a nightmare to do against someone like uh, yeah, Sun because uh, you're shorter, she's really tall. Yeah. yeah, you're playing her game and all that kind of stuff. It's three one. And then Sun starts to sort of figure the, the sort of figure out the distance a little bit more. Okay, and pulls it back. We get to three all. And then they stop fencing. All right, okay. Yeah, and there was a good one minute thirty left on the clock at this point, and it's three all in the second period. So anyway, off we go into the third pe- into the third period. Uh, it starts off actually with a nice uh, nice exchange of blocks. So it comes in as they get in close in fighting. This must be something I'm not entirely sure I've seen Sun having to do this before, but there was lots of aggressive block counters, all this kind of stuff. Okay. Really close, flurry blows, and he actually comes out uh, victorious from that one. Is leading four three. Next time Lawrence tries to close the distance again, this time she doesn't manage it against against Sun. It's five three, and at this point you're kind of thinking it's all over now mm-hmm. for 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 Lawrence. And, and essentially, it is. She gets a couple of good hits, a couple more good hits, and a couple. Of, she actually manages to draw Sun out a couple of times. It's got a couple of stop hits, but then after that, it just goes all Sun's way. There's nothing that Lawrence can actually do. And the the final itself is very one sided, and it finishes fifty nine. Okay, yeah. I mean, certainly if you get a couple of hits down in the third period against Sun, it's it's very hard work to, to call that back. I mean, I'll give Lawrence a G. She did get score some hits, which must be a nightmare to get against uh, Sun. So she managed to, you know, score a flesh, for example. Yeah. And she's a lot shorter than Sun, than Sun is. Yeah, you got um, that really well. Yeah, and she did a couple, she did, as I say, those sort of like classic French hits where you start one line, finish in another. Yeah. She managed that too, and it was uh, uh, really quite... Uh, quite lovely to watch and I hope actually we see more of her in the future uh-huh. so a lot of the good stuff coming from the fencer that doesn't win yes yeah. <laughs> yes yeah. <laughs> it works out of that some way I mean yeah uh, it's it's not the it's not the how but the how many which uh, is reflected in the results one well, no, perfectly acceptable way to win we've just talked about that yeah so this is World Cup we've actually got some teams as well uh, and actually I think it's quite an interesting uh, team event this yeah it certainly is I mean it was interesting enough that I tuned in for this Really? I did, yep. All right, okay. 
so we won't go we won't go through the whole table or anything like that. I think we'll just go straight to the semi-finals for this one. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so our first semi-final, we've got USA versus France. Good work, USA. Yeah, so you know the French team. You'd expect them to be uh, pretty much on the ball. USA. I don't think they've been up this up this far before. Uh, I think they may have done in the past, made, but not for a while. As far as semi-finals, but yeah, not yeah. not recently, no. But quite interesting on this one. Uh, USA actually wins this one, forty-two thirty-six. That's a good win. That's yeah, a, that's so it's a, a good, comfortable that's win. Really. A comfortable win, uh, especially obviously in Team Epi, where it's quite difficult to. You know, yeah, stretch out a six point yeah. lead. Uh, the second semi final goes much more how you'd expect with uh, it's, it's Italy versus Russia, and uh, Russia wins this one. It's twenty nine twenty two. Okay, well, I mean, again, it's you know they stretch out a seven point lead. Yeah, it's quite hard to do. Twenty nine twenty two is not a, doesn't sound like a high scoring thriller. Mm, I didn't no. watch this to be fair. Uh, maybe it was. No. I mean, not high scoring, but it may have been a thriller. Yeah, but our final, that means that our final was uh, was a, it was a was it Rocky three Rocky four UC versus Russia anyway. Yeah, Ivan Drago against uh, against Rocky. Yeah, yeah. So this is a historic moment actually because we've got a American team, American women's epi team, actually in the final of a you know a women's epi World Cup, mm-hmm. and it was quite interesting. So I actually made sure I sat down and I watched this one. It went pretty much how you'd expect, I think, in terms of uh, score. Uh, patient build up. Patient build up. No one's okay. taking any risks. Yep. In fact. It was a very conservative middle of the middle of the piece sort of battle with the two of them. So neither uh, one side wouldn't want to press other. So the the Russians were constantly probing. Right. Uh, the Americans were just going to be sold in their defence. Okay. What that meant there wasn't very much movement quite a lot of the time. It was very very middle of the very middle of the piece. Uh, the sort of the first sort of uh, six or so legs. It, it it goes quite slowly. The the the, the, the score ticks over. But you know, it, it never actually comes to comes to fight. It lights up at all. Yeah, okay. nobody, nobody gets five hits in a leg. Yeah, exactly. Nobody, at any the point, opportunity to do so scores more than five hits. Exactly, yeah. and it was quite. It was well mannered. A, a, a couple of hits. Couple of hits. Couple of hits a leg. Yeah, and then uh, if if one side looked like they were getting away with it, the other side would just be that's enough of that. We'll just move on to the yeah. next one. I think. But America, interestingly, were leading most of the way. Right. Okay. Yeah, uh, we get into the seventh period. So we're going into the the, the sixth leg finishes. Seventeen uh, thirteen for the US. Right. Okay. So as I say, the score had been ticking over, but it hadn't been going kind of hammer and tongs at it at all. Mm-hmm. So we get into the seventh leg. Uh, it's Murtazieva of Russia versus Courtney Hurley, and Murtazieva comes straight out of the blocks. It was interesting because previously she hadn't been quite so aggressive as she had been. You know, of all the sort of Russian fences in the previous legs that I'd seen her, she had been the one who would push it a little bit more. Okay. But this time she'd obviously had a bit of a pep talk from the coach and she was like, Time to go. Time to go. We need to to do something now. So she comes straight out of the box, she catches uh, Courtney off guard. But after that, she just couldn't land one on Courtney. Um, It's just, just, they just trade another couple of hits and call it quits at 15 20. Right, okay. Okay, so... so no, the, no, the, change, no change in the difference? No, no not really, no. Uh, they're still... No, actually, the, the Russians have gone down a couple. So it's oh, 15, okay. So they've gone down, it's now five points. Right, so they, they've gambled three. and lost a little yeah. bit on that leg. So what what happens next? We get to the next the next Russian fence is uh, Andrew Sheena, uh, up against uh, Kelly Hurley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're kind of closely matched, kind of similar styles, quite upright, bouncing in and out, but they don't, they don't, neither one of them wants to take, uh, take any... Take any uh, risks, or so you think. Andersina scores an, a, an early, an early hit, and after that, and it wasn't an immediate sort of response from uh, from Hurley at all. And what happens is, is that uh, uh, Andersina actually clocks up an extra couple of hits, 
and she brings it back uh, within to within two to end this particular leg. So going into the ninth leg, the Americans are still in the lead, but now it's only twenty one to nineteen. And we've got uh, at this point we've got Kolobova, we've already mm. talked about, yeah. up against Holmes, who's obviously put on because she's very good in defence. Yeah, so that, that's the thing. So she was, I describe Holmes as being kind of quite stable. You know, no, there's definitely risk going here. Very, 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 very strong defence. Yeah. Kolobova, Kolobova comes straight out, goes for a nice, uh, goes goes for a toe hit, but it's actually a nice stop it from Holmes. Right, okay. okay. Stretches the lead. Yeah. So stretches the lead. So now we're at uh, sort of like 22 19. It's a double hit, 23 20. And I'm thinking, hmm, okay, maybe the Americans are just going to come back into it again. Uh, but Colabua starts to sort of think a little bit more creatively about how she's going to be making the hits. She starts to do stuff like uh, the next hit, she just comes out and it's a lovely uh, feint to the wrist, mm-hmm. wrist finish to leg. Nice. 23. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so obviously Holmes had a bit of think about this. We come back on again this time. Anderson just come, uh, sorry, Colbo just comes straight in for it. It's a, it's a straight, it's a, it's a straight step lunge. Twenty two, twenty three. Right. And at this point, there's a bit, you know, there's a bit more energy in the room because we're getting really, really close. Yeah. But unfortunately, Colbo will try the same thing again, but can't quite land it. Goes a couple back again. We're at twenty four, twenty two. But Colbo, it basically goes hit for hit. Goes twenty four, twenty two, twenty four, twenty three, and then all of a sudden. A hit comes from nowhere from Kolobova. She hits Holmes on the wrist and we're evil, uh, level peggings and it hasn't been level pegging since we were at zero. Right. So it's 24-24 at this point. Pick your moment to... Yeah, yeah. To and I was like, oh, okay, so the Russian's going to actually take this one. And, I, and it looks that way because Kolobova baited Hurley, uh, sorry, baited Holmes, who stepped in and was immediately parry reposted. And I think it was the first parry reposted scene in about three or four legs. That's right. what it felt like. Uh, so the Russians are now up. And yeah. you can start to hear the crowd get, well, the, the crowd that's there is starting yeah. to get a little bit more. <laughs> both, of, both of them are going, yeah. Yeah, exactly. A bit more an- animated. Uh, we get a double hit. So it's 26, 25. And I'm starting to think, oh, actually, do you know what? This is, we, we could get a massive flurry of hits now because Holmes knows she has to go, kind of go for it. Yeah. Another double, 27, 26. And then all of a sudden, uh, Kolobova just changed the tactics. She was no longer pushing and probing and keeping, keeping Holmes back. Mm-hmm. She starts to go, she went straight into the, onto the defense. And for uh, and and I'm starting to get a bit worried at this point because because Holmes is the one who's now pushing mm-hmm. and Colbo looks like she's starting to cave under it all. There's a double hit and I was thinking, hmm, okay. Holmes then does one thing that I didn't see her doing the rest. Of the night. she chases Colbova down the piste, right. stops when Colbova sees the pause and thinks immediately, ha ha, time to attack. Uh, as she changes the direction, uh, Holmes is ready and she stop hits her. Right, and it's a, it's a it's a it's a stronger of a hit, twenty eight twenty all, and then they just say ah, enough of that. Let's go for the golden hit, and mm-hmm. I think fair enough. On that occasion, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, go for, go for it, guys. We, you know, you, you, it's the Americans have been leading. The Russians have pulled it back. Just go for the golden hit. Priorities with the US. We start with the extra minute. So Kolobova thinks mm, actually the defensive thing wasn't really working for me. Go straight back to original plan. Uh, tries to push Holmes back again. Unfortunately for Kolobova, Holmes scored a hit that she'd been trying throughout the entire leg, nice. uh, which is a sort of a, a, a sort of a, the probe to wrist as a as an actual hit. Yeah. She couldn't ha- she couldn't land them previously. She was just using them as preps, but this time she actually managed it. And it was a really it was really really nice. A great hit to finish. And uh, yeah, it was a, a one hit to finish it, and they finish obviously uh, twenty nine twenty eight. And apparently that is a, a first World Cup team victory for USA Women's AP team. Yeah, so, so historic. Doubly, doubly well done. Congratulations yeah. on the win and yeah. particularly a, a very first one. It's I think if you're going to watch the final, the, the first few legs, 
not the most exciting, but certainly the the, the latter, latter part of it is, okay, is, so is well worth checking out. Skip forward the first first half uh, of the YouTube video. First half, yeah. Uh, go straight to the last bit. It's quite exciting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if your attention is really short like mine, go to the final leg and... Just, yeah, just watch just that take bit. It from there. Yeah. Okay. But no, if you're if you if you're into your epic like me, you could probably start running about leg five. Right. <laughs> no, that sounds pretty good. That sounds yeah. pretty good, done. Yeah. Obviously, uh, a, a, gr- a great result for the for the American team. Yeah, I'm very happy for them actually. Yeah. Yeah. What's next, Sean? Our third and final World Cup that we'll be talking about in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, men's four from St Petersburg, and let's kick off with the early departures. For, and there was loads of these. First fight of the day. Daniele Garozzo goes out to Alex Toffolidis, formerly of Great Britain, Oof. now of Cyprus. Timur Safin goes, Takahiro Shikini of Japan, and Matanli Watson, all out in the last 64. Out in the 32, Cruz and Serbchenko, Seto and Avila. And out in the 16, Imboden and the Peshu. So from that little lot, you might think, well, who's who's left? So a slightly unfamiliar quality Friday lineups. Some big names still in there, but Quite a few of them going out. Uh, Maxime Poti of France mm-hmm. uh, beats Andrea Cassara 15-13. Uh, Lee Kwang Hyun of Korea beats Alex Masialis, also 15-13. Uh, uh, the resurgent Alexei Tiramisinov beats Son Yun ki of Korea, 15-9. And Alessio Fukuni of Italy beats Jeremy Cadio, 15-13. Yeah, a few big names bowing out in the last eight stage mm-hmm. against lesser-known opponents. Uh, so semi-final one, Poti against Lee, and this is a, a high-speed slugfest. Right. It's just frantic from from the word go. Poti pulls away from around six all, and Lee, Lee trying to keep the keep the pace going, but becomes a little bit inaccurate. Starts to miss a few, miss times things, um, and in the end, Poti runs out a fairly comfortable win with a fifteen-nine win, uh, and the whole thing was done in two minutes and twenty-six seconds. <sighs> Of total total fencing, all of it. It's like old school fence, old school foil from back in the day, Sean. Um, back in the nineties, like, like, like it was impossible to miss. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was very much like that. An incredible pace. Uh, so, if you're looking for something a little more, a little more sedate, and the second one with Kony against Cherimisinov, um, forget it. This seems to be the sort of theme for the weekend. It was, all right, okay. It was. I mean, a slightly different kind of a fight. Not quite as much hurtling up and down the piece. A little more of a, a scrap about, you know, sort of timing and footwork battle. Yeah, rather than quite so much manic movement. Uh, but some, some beautiful fencing from both fencers. And, and Fukuni and uh, Cheremisinov aren't particularly two fencers I would describe as purveyors of beautiful fencing generally. But this was uh, this was tremendous stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, lots lots and lots of blade work, you know, nice subtle subtle changes, proper conversation of the blades. And it seems such a, an old-fashioned idea. Right. But um, all, all done at high pace, proper athleticism and... In the end, Fukuni does get on top in the in the sort of latter part of the fight. Mm-hmm. He, he used a good video video review uh, to turn a a ten eight as the hit had been awarded into into an eleven seven lead. Right. So using his video reviews well and stretches that out eventually to win again fifteen nine. Um, a really good fight. I really enjoyed it and, and not necessarily quite quite what I'd expect from from that matchup in advance. Right. Okay. Uh, but again, carried out the same. High speed in terms of scoring a lot of hits and a, a great deal of time, and that that one also finished in two minutes and twenty six seconds of, of actual <laughs> fence time. Seems to be a, you know a theme for your semi finals. But yeah, more more good form from from Cherry Misanov limited in the semi finals here. But that that result does see him move back into the top ten. Does it of the world rankings? I mean, 
two months ago, you would almost say that, let's say two months ago, three months ago, perhaps, you would say that Jeremy Sinov's fencing career looked in its, on its last legs. You know, yeah. He wasn't even in the Russian team uh-huh. for the teams in Paris. He was kind of struggling along 30th, mm-hmm. 40th in the world rankings and then a run of good results. Sees him bouncing back up the world rankings again and back into the top 10. Does that mean he's going to be on the team then, do you think? Yeah, surely. Yeah. Surely, because, I mean, that's him second second highest ranked Russian now. Safin's had a bit of a slide, so he's down to about, I think, sixth or seventh now. Right. And he's he's definitely the, the Russian in form, mm. uh, which, you know, he was world champion in 2014, which seems an absolute age ago, simply because until this recent run of results, he's been he's been rubbish. You know, he's, he's not been able to, to buy a result. You kind of... Kind of what's what's turned this around? You know? mm. What's he on? Oh no, hang on, that's not the phrase I want to use for the <laughs> yeah, Russians, is it? Don't say that, Sean. Don't <coughs> no, say that. Anyway, no. whatever it is, it's it's working a treat for him, yeah. and uh, he's he's back to looking like a contender again. So that gives us a final. Maxime Poti against Alessio Focconi. Again, Focconi would go into this as strong favourite. Yeah, uh, he went into the competition ranked number two in the world. Um, at the end of it, he's he's up to number one. Poti, on the other hand, has never made a never won a medal at a senior event. Okay. Um, quite a young, younger than I thought he was. Actually, he's he's only twenty four. Oh, okay. So that puts him right in amongst Safin and Garozzo, just a couple of years older than youth prodigy Alex right. Masialis. Yeah. Um, so you can you can kind of see how he's not been picked out as a star, but right. um, just eclipsed by his peers. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. But you know, at twenty four, there's still a load of time for him to. Yeah. To become a star, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to happen, um, you know, in your early 20s. No. So on to the actual fencing itself. Uh, and again, it had, well, and even I think even a more manic pace than the, the two semi-finals had been. It was just, it was just remarkable. Four all uh, after about 40 seconds worth of fencing. Uh-huh. Uh, Fukuni struggling to deal with Poti's sort of unpredictability. It was a, a real seemingly random mixture of defensive action, some mm. some counterattacks, the old parry repost, stop it and open the distance, have a big swipe for the blade. You know, hard to hard to find a way through, and it causes Fukuni to start missing effectively. Right, not necessarily actually scoring with the intended action by Poti, but you know, often enough for it to to count, and it, it was clearly messing with Fukuni's head quite badly. And the other thing that uh, Fukuni um, that Fukuni struggled with from Poti was um, a kind of running attack that he would do, usually making Fukuni's attack fall short, and then immediately taking the attack, Poti taking the attack up himself, sprinting down the piece and trying to make the hit again. Wouldn't always hit with it. Mm-hmm. But would hit with a hit with enough. You said a running attack, not a flesh. Not a flesh. No, it's a, a sprint down the piste. Oh right, okay. Yeah, which um, you know, Fukuni was visibly annoyed about it. Right. Whether he whether he actually got hit or not, he, he couldn't deal with. It. He couldn't score with a parry or post off it. Mm-hmm. And it was it was clearly a source of enormous irritation to him. And eventually, this combination of frustration and inaccuracy and struggling to get his head around what you know this sort of. Uh, Weird mixture of, of stuff that Poti was producing eventually did Fukuni in, and um, Poti takes the win in the end very comfortably, and all over in less than two minutes. So if you want to go back and watch this, you only really need to put aside, I don't know, probably about 15 minutes worth of actual time. Excellent. Because so, I haven't watched this, so I'm going to have to go and watch it on my tea break. So it's like a, it's like a highlight show right. without having to do any editing. 
Brilliant. That's what I want. <laughs> it's just, you run it, semi-final, semi-final, final. Done. Yeah. Okay, that's my tea break over. I better yeah. go back to work. <laughs> um, so yeah, crazy fencing. And, uh, I, I actually put on, uh, on our Twitter feed that I just didn't predict this at all. No, I haven't watched it, but no, I didn't wouldn't. see the announcement. And I was just like, I couldn't have predicted that this was going to happen. Uh, no, nobody would have picked Bodhi yeah. out as a, as a likely winner at the start of the day. A proper breakthrough result, first time on the podium and, yeah. and goes all the way. Mm-hmm. Does it in fine style and at high speed. Really enjoyable stuff. Yep, good stuff. So on to the teams. And, well, it's one of those things that becomes so predictable uh, that it's almost dull. But no, not dull. Um, USA win again, though. That's oh, right, their, okay. Uh, their, their full house, the Grand Slam, the the five-peat, whatever you want to call it. Uh, yeah, winning all the World Cups this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and really, at this one, doing it very, very comfortably indeed. Makes them the first mains team in any weapon to win all yes. the World Cups in a single season. So that really is a, a properly yeah. phenomenal achievement. Counts even to some social media comments there have been other teams which have managed this. They're just not male teams. Yeah, the Italian women's foil team won all the World Cups last year, yep. which is very recent, mm-hmm. and thought somebody might have noticed that mm-hmm. um, other than us. Yeah. Uh, I did point it out to a few people who were busy going, yeah, first team ever. Yeah. Well, actually, no, not, no. not quite so much. And they also did it in 2014, the Italian yep. women's foilists. Um, and they also did it in 2008, although to be fair, there was only four World Cups that <laughs> yeah, season. So it's a bit easier back then. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. No, Watching well, the Vesali era, so it was obviously that's what was going to happen. Yep. So, uh, but still, as I say, a phenomenal performance from uh, the USA mm-hmm. men's foil team. They've, they have been utterly dominant year, this year uh, throughout the whole season. And their fight against uh, Italy in the final here mm-hmm. was finished 45-25. I mean, it, uh, they, I don't think they've lost a single, a single one of the nine legs. It, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, that they that they are so strong as a team when individually they're maybe not. They don't show quite as much of that strength, if you know what I mean. As a group, as yeah, a whole, I mean, as a collective, they, they're re- they're really good. But as individuals, they're maybe not all of them are not all firing firing as heavily. Yeah, well, if you look at the the individual rankings at the moment, you've got Fukuni at one, Garotsu at two, mm-hmm. and Avila's at about I think eight or nine. Yeah. So that's that's your starting three for Italy at the moment. Yeah. And Casera is your reserve, I think, also in the top ten. Mm-hmm. Um so there's a lot a lot of Italians up there individually. Yeah. But the doesn't work for them as a team in the same way that the Americans No, and I think it's the, the variety that the the American team has, mm-hmm. which is a is their strength in a lot of ways. If you look at the Italians, their their starting three are all a similar height, different styles. All three of them are right-handed, mm-hmm. but there's enough similarities that, to some degree, if you get the hang of Italian timing, mm-hmm. and you've got three Italians who are all same size, same handedness, mm-hmm. some variations, then then you've cracked it to some degree. Yeah. Whereas with the Americans, you've got uh, a gangling right-hander in Mars Chanley Watson. Yeah. You've got uh, an elegant, fluent left-hander in Imboden. Yeah. And you've got a super efficient. Um, aggressive right-hander in Masialis mm-hmm. as your starting three. Yeah, and that variety, I think, is is part of their strength. Yeah, and certainly. And certainly, if you pick out Miles Chandler Watson has been their certainly the ro- lowest ranked fencer mm-hmm. at the moment. He's, I think, now outside the top twenty-five mm-hmm. and really has struggled to get an individual result all season. He's a very, very hard fencer to pick up hits against in a hurry. Yeah, he that- uses his reach well. He's got a big, 
swirling, sweeping defence. It's hard to, yeah, to exactly. get through. If you really throw yourself in there, he'll he'll pick it up and flick you in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. You know, if you need to score hits against a hur- in a hurry against what is perceived as being the weakest fencer in in the opposition team, mm-hmm. Miles is a a nightmare to yeah. to try and do that against. Uh, that, does, that does make if you look at it that way, that kind of analysis it does kind of make more sense. Yeah, why not? I mean, so you, you, I'm not entirely sure what I would do if I was the Italian coach to build in a bit more flexibility in my team, whether I need to bring in a different fencer. Well, maybe or something and Casar like. has been sitting on the bench pretty much all season, and that that's going to be worth a roll in the dice. He's been he's been in really good form this season. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's meddled at at least a couple of events, maybe three. Yeah, and. Yeah, it surprises me a little bit that he's not been used more. Yeah, I mean, when you look back at how dominant Casara was back in the past as mm-hmm. well, and he can still pull it out. You know, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, you yeah. put on the piece, you can still see him. Sometimes the magic just comes back, and he's just uh, he's just awesome to watch. Yeah. I think it, I think it's certainly worth a, a roll of the dice for the Italians because uh, they're they're starting three loot yeah. well out of against the US eighteen. Plan is working all over them. Yeah, yeah. The plan isn't working. Change. So, any other good news from that? Uh, Oh yes, it was. Yes, yeah, sorry, I almost almost managed to forget that that um, Britain finished sixth, yes. which is their uh, first top eight finish since the Olympics, and uh, and a very welcome result for for the British men's foilists. Yeah, uh, congratulations, guys. Is that what does that mean for the ranking? Is it any significant movement? Or it's is it not. Just... I mean, it's going to it's going to leave them about twelfth in the world world right. rankings at the okay. moment. So it's you know it's not as high as it has been, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, a, a good return. Good. Them. I mean, they, they beat Japan along the way, which is a well, that's astonishing because they're a thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly strong team. Yeah, uh, big fan of the Japanese win. fencing. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, well, well done to them. Mm-hmm. Good. So we have. Oh now, yes. Before we we move on to our our last little bit, Lawrence Epi. Yeah. So I kind of mentioned this a little bit as we were talking away there, but uh, Lawrence Epi has the the most fencing friendly name I think I've ever come across. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, she is French. Yep. She uses a French grip. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is, in fact, Epi. Yeah, yeah. So she, th- this is this is everything about this is just perfect as far as I'm concerned. There's, there is a name for this, isn't there? Is there yes. a name for this name yeah. guiding what you do? It's called nominative determinism. Thank you for that. Uh, and I've been a big fan of of, of that subject f- <laughs> uh, since I was a student when I used to read the New Scientist, which is where this all comes from. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the back of the, the new scientists, you have like a joke section where researchers <laughs> send in like like funny funny anecdotes and things like this. And there was a, a recurring theme where people were spotting people who had strong names which linked them to their jobs. So right. judges or judges, fishers or fishermen, all this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it led to this idea called nominative determinism. And then subsequently people have done some research which suggests that if you have the right name, you are more likely to su- succeed in that role. And the thinking is, it's because people will tell you, "Oh, you've got this name. You should do that mm-hmm. all through your entire life," and it, it breeds <laughs> that kind of, that kind of thing. So I can only imagine what uh, Lawrence has put through. The only thing is, she's right-handed; and she's not left-handed. Right, Otherwise, we'd L-A-P. get the L, the L yeah. with there as well. It would be absolutely one hundred percent perfect. So yeah, but she's French, so it wouldn't be an L. Oh, of course. Yeah, good yeah. point. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so I've been. I, I did a little bit of a shout out on social media to see if anybody could come up with. A better name than Lawrence Epi, the French grip, French mm-hmm. Epiist. And I haven't come up with anybody yet, but we've had some good ones. Uh, John Sword. Mm-hmm. Yes, a, a, a Scottish fencer from oh, quite a long time ago, but yeah, 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 I do remember him. A couple of parries yeah. uh, who are floating <laughs> around. I found a couple of Lapointes, uh, which I thought was quite funny. Very good, uh, yeah. In, in Canada. But honestly, I, couldn't, I haven't been able to find... 
I've been able to find anyone with a much more appropriate name than that. So if anybody out there has one, uh, please get in touch because uh, I think it's fascinating. <laughs> okay, well, if it's going to keep you amused, yeah, yeah, please, please help us out. And if you've got any more good fencing appropriate fencers' names, then yeah, yeah, please, please, like Gav, no, yeah. <laughs> So, Sean, who's going to be our coolest fencer this time around? Well, I did draw up a, a little short list here. Nassim Poti, mm-hmm. winning his first Senior World Cup. Yep. Got to be worth a worth a nomination, definitely. Mm-hmm. Sun Yuen. Mm-hmm. Winning. 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 Yeah, okay. Winning. Never yeah. mind Never mind the excitement levels or, or the style of it. <laughs> uh, a, win's, a win's a win. Win's a win. Zeppi, efficiency. Yep. Yeah, she's got, her spreadsheets are all in order. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then two teams: the okay. USA men's foil team mm-hmm. for their clean sweep of the the World Cups this season, mm-hmm. and the USA women's epi team for winning their first ever World Cup. Okay, so it's a, it's a list that I kind of agree with. I'm not sure I would pick Sun though, if I'm honest. Okay, because she's very highly ranked. She's going to win more stuff probably. Uh, it's not the first time she's won stuff. It's not the last time she's going to win. This is a day in the office for her. Okay. Okay. Uh, and about as exciting. And about as exciting, indeed. Okay. Uh, uh, Maxine Pouty is a good shout, though, because, you know, we, we've known about him. He's 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 not quite made the sort of the superstardom that maybe yeah, he deserved. A, a definite and, breakthrough yeah. result and very exciting fencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, my personal shout is I think that the the USA women's epi team. Um, winning a winning a you know a team medal there is actually something worth shouting about because it is, it's yeah. never happened before. So that's yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. But, um, but the men's foil team winning winning a whole season's worth of World Cups, yeah, and being the first male team ever to do that, yeah, that's also quite good as well. Uh, <laughs> it is quite good, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I, I don't know how we're gonna uh, gonna fix this one, Sean. How are we gonna decide it? Um, I've I've got a solution. I've got a suggestion rather. Okay. Rather than us bickering about it. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, admittedly, we can be quite funny. Yeah, sometimes mm-hmm. I think. Uh, why don't we do a Twitter poll? Okay, and let, and let our listeners make their thoughts known. So what? we put up a Twitter poll for. That sounds awfully like democracy. Well, I, I know we usually go for the sort of what how would you describe it benevolent dictatorship but, in indeed. terms of uh, deciding what's cool and what's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because clearly we're the people to decide that exactly. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I know what you're. I hear what you're saying that. Yeah, we're not really ready for a democracy, are we? Uh, well, I don't know, but but what we'll do is we'll create, we'll we'll, we'll try it out. We'll we'll create the Twitter poll and we'll see if our lovely listeners will help us make a decision this time. Okay, and if we don't like the decision, we'll just overrule it and say well, no, this is not it at all. Well, what's the point in having an autocracy if you're not going to exercise the rule of <laughs> your fist anyway? Okay, um, so so lovely listeners, please um, follow us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. We are. At Fencing Podcast. Indeed. And that's where the poll will be. That's where the poll will be. We'll, we'll stick links on our Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. Where we are, the Fencing Podcast. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also on Instagram uh-huh. as the uh, Fencing Podcast. The Fencing Podcast, yeah. Uh, and you can also go and have a look at our website as well, which mm-hmm. is Podcast.com. Dot com. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but if you want to vote, follow us on Twitter, go in, cast your vote, mm-hmm. and we'll let you know how that goes in the next episode. Next episode, we've got loads of stuff to look forward to. Time that we're recording that, recording this app means that it may actually not be released until 
the weekend's action, which includes the SNCF Rousseau mm-hmm. Men's Epi, or the Manal, as probably most people know it, mm-hmm. uh, and the Sabre, World, uh, Sabre Grand Prix, rather, from Moscow. Yeah. So we'll have all of that to talk about next time around. Plus, I've got a couple, I don't know, actually a few really good interviews lined up. Oh, great. So um, hopefully we'll have the first of those for our next episode. Oh, good. But there's going to be a flurry of them at the end of the season. Excellent. So all of that to look forward. But until then... Goodbye. Goodbye for me. Mm-hmm.